Amen. Good morning. Be turning your Bibles to Ezra chapter 1. If you need a handout, please just raise your hand and somebody from our hospitality team. Glad to get that to you here this morning. While you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and pray and we're going to get started. Father, thank you so much for this morning that you have given us, man. I thank you for each and every one that's here this morning. Uh, Father, it's just good to gather as the body of Christ, to be together, to worship together, to be accountable together, Lord, to sit at your feet together. And so, God, this morning I'm asking that, Lord, you would work in and through me, Lord, to bring forth your word, Lord, to edify your people. God, help my, my infirmities, help my stumbling lips, Lord, here this morning. You know, God, I, I have nothing to offer but the words that you have given me. And so, God, please help me to do that this morning, Lord. Fill us with your spirit. Be glorified in this place. We ask everything in Christ's name, amen. All right, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Ezra this morning, the book of Ezra. Um, I just returned from a trip from Boston to see our new church plant, Living Faith Boston. Praise the Lord. And I was going to try to bring to you my, my best Boston accent this morning, but when I, I practiced it, uh, my wife told me that I sounded like a constipated version of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So... <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one on the table. I'm going to talk to you in a normal voice here this morning. Um, so as part of our trip, right, the, the team that went to Boston, we, we studied out the book of Ezra uh, together. We did our morning devotions to that together. And so what I want to do here this morning is just to be able to share with you some of the insights that we gleaned from God's word, and notably those that would apply to us and to the mission that God has called us to. So we know from Scripture Right, Romans 15, verse 4, that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, right, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so we're going to trust God this morning to open up what is this Old Testament book and share with us insights to the mission that God has for us today. Okay, so this morning we're going to be doing a, a high-level overview of really chapters 1 through 6. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, we are not going to do an in-depth study of the book of Ezra, okay? And 45 minutes, really less than that, there's just no way I could possibly cover everything that's in the first six chapters. We could spend all morning just talking about the first two verses in chapter one, okay? So if I miss something, like, that's understandable. We're not trying to, to teach everything here out of the book, but I do want to highlight to you some of the things that God put on our hearts. Trust the Lord to do that. So, um, let me get started by giving you a little background, okay? Anytime you start something new, I think it's helpful uh, to be able to lay some groundwork to give you a big picture overview of what's happening, right? So that when we get into the details a little bit, it, it makes more sense. So here's the background, right? The book of Ezra, along with the books of Nehemiah and Esther, they, they complete what are the 17 historical books in the Old Testament of your Bible, essentially about the first half of the Old Testament in your Bible, right? These three books, they record for us God's dealings with the remnant of Jews, right? After they're going into captivity, right? And Ezra and Nehemiah, they deal with this remnant that returns from Jerusalem to Judea. And Esther deals with those that remained in the land of their captivity, okay? So in your notes, you have a simple timeline. I'm going to pull that up here on the screen as well. You have a simple timeline that outlines this this period that we're going to be looking at today and some of the milestone events that occurred during this time. Again, this is not exhaustive, but hopefully it'll give you a little bit of framework as you study this out further on your own. So in 586 BC, we know that, that Nebuchadnezzar, he performed the last of his three attacks, the last of three sieges um, on the city of Jerusalem, 
right? At that time, the city was destroyed, the temple itself was burned, and the people were taken into captivity as a result of their continued sin and idolatry against the Lord. And you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. If you fast forward in time to 539 BC, Babylon falls to the invading armies of the Medes and Persians, led by Cyrus the Great. And that brings us up to what is the beginning of the book of Ezra. So as I mentioned, the book of Ezra, it deals with this remnant of the people that returned to Jerusalem and Judea following what was a 70-year captivity in Babylon. Right, the book itself, it divides into two parts. You could say that chapters 1 through 6 deal with the return under Zerubbabel and the events that ensued. And in chapters 7 through 10, you're dealing with the return, the, the second return under Ezra and the events that ensued, ensued there. And so the, the focus or what we might call the mission of chapters 1 through 6, was on the rebuilding of the temple, right? while the focus of chapters 7 through 10 is on the re-separation or sanctification of the people. Okay? So that's just a little bit of background. Let's dive in here. Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Now in the first year Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might be fulfilled by the mouth of Jeremiah... The Lord stirred the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom, and he put it into writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he had charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. And so let me stop right here. Okay, so what you get in verse 2 is the decree that this pagan king Cyrus makes, opening the door for the Jews to return into their homeland and to rebuild the temple after 70 years of captivity. Okay, but this shouldn't come as a surprise. It certainly did not to God. And it did not to God's people who were paying attention to his word because this was the fulfillment of a prophecy given by Jeremiah. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. He says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished in Babylon, I will visit you and I will perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. We see the same thing in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 12 through 14, and 33, verse 7 through 13. But Jeremiah was not the only prophet that God used to foretell these events. God also used Isaiah. Be turning your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 28. Isaiah 44, verse 28, it says, Thus, or that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Okay, so I want to note to you a few things about this prophecy. Isaiah wrote the book of Isaiah sometime between 740 and 690 B.C., right? This prophecy is dated to be around 700 B.C. Now, if you look at your timeline, we're going to pull that back up here on the screen. 700 B.C. is not on the page, Right? 700 B.C. was far enough, it's, it's, it's off page, page left. Okay? Get this, right? Over a hundred years before the temple was destroyed, over a hundred years before Cyrus himself was born, right, from a nation that was not yet in power, and over 150 years before Cyrus makes this decree, God foretells that it's going to happen through the prophet Isaiah. Right, that he would open the door and he would use Cyrus and the life of his people to return and rebuild the temple. 
Now, I don't know about you guys, I, I can't even tell you what's going to happen with the weather next week, right? And neither can most meteorologists, right? I can't tell you who's going to win the election come November. I can't even tell you if the Chiefs are going to win this afternoon, right? If you're, if you're my age or older, you remember the days before Patrick Mahomes. You remember the heartbreak every Sunday, right? So my point is this, that neither I nor anyone else here in this room, neither anyone else that you know, could tell you that in 150 years from now, here's who's going to be the world power, and here's who's going to be the leader of that world power, and here's how God is specifically going to use them in the life of his people to accomplish his will. But that is exactly what God did through Isaiah. So don't miss this, right? Fulfilled prophecy proves the existence of the God of this Bible and of the inspiration of Scripture. And that's important for the mission. Why? Because when you go to the mission field, right, when you engage the field with the gospel of Christ, right, when you're out there to persuade men, right, what you're going to encounter oftentimes is someone who says, man, I believe that there's a God. I believe that there's some higher power out there. But I don't necessarily believe that he's the God of the Bible. At least I'm not convinced of that. And you can share with them your personal testimony. And man, personal testimonies are powerful. They're awesome. They're transformative, right? And God will use those things. But for some people, that is not going to be enough to convince them. Right? They're going to say, man, you've got to show me more evidence that God is this God. And in those situations, again, your testimony may not be enough. One of the greatest proofs that we have that God not only exists, but he is the God of this Bible, is the fulfillment of Scripture, right? It's what separates true biblical Christianity from every other major world religion. And in case we miss that, right, God tells us that in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 3. Be turning there. Isaiah 48, verse 3, God tells us the reason... He sent the prophets, right? He tells us the reason why he prophesies things. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth out of my mouth. I showed them, and I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Right? He said, the things that I declared in the beginning, they came to pass. Why? In verse 5, he says, I have even from the beginning, I have declared it to thee. And before it came to pass, I showed it thee. Why? Lest thou shouldest say, my idol hath done them. And my graven image and my molten image hath commanded them. You see, God wants you to know the certainty of the words of truth. He wants you to know that he is God. He's the God of this Bible. And you have the certainty of his words. And one of the greatest ways that God does that is by giving us fulfilled prophecy. Let's go back. Ezra chapter 1, verse 3. Ezra chapter 1, verse 3. It says, who is there? Cyrus asks this question. He says, who is there among you of all his people? Right? As God be with him, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God in Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place wherein he sojourneth, let the men of that place, or men of his place, help him with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, besides the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So that brings us to key point number one here this morning. And that is this, that all of God's people are called to the mission. All of God's people are called to the mission. 
In verse 3, he says, Who is there among you of all his people? Right? God is working through Cyrus and he's asking a question, Who is there among you of all his people? God has not just called your pastors. God has not just called your leaders. God has not just called your missionaries to be involved in the mission and the work of God. God has called all of his people. Speaking to his disciples, his followers in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Christ said this, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. See the same thing in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. God said, he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel to every creature. That is the mission of God. So go back to Ezra chapter 1, verse 4. Get this. It says, And whosoever remaineth in any place wherein he sojourneth, let the men of that place help him. Let them help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts besides the freewill offering of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And so if I can steal a quote here from Pastor Jeff Bartell, Mission Focus 2018, he said, You may not relocate but you must participate. Right? You may not relocate, but you must participate. Those that remained were to give and to prepare for the mission where God had called them to. You know, up on the wall, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we have our missions verse. And over here on the other side, we have our, our focus, right? The ways in which we can be part of God's mission, right? We say we can pray, we can prepare, we can give and go. You know, I mentioned we just, we just went to Boston. Now, many of you who, who are wanting to go to Boston, you said, man, I, I want to go. Um, I, I've got some circumstances. I can't go at this time, but man, I'm praying for you. Um, there were several of you here who said, man, I, I can't go, but I want to financially support uh, those who it might be a struggle for. And so many of you gave to that. And man, I, I praise the Lord for your investment. Because you were right there with us, right? You had a hand, you had a stake in the work, work that God was doing in Boston. Now I want to ask yourself, or I want you to ask yourself a question here this morning, right? Where are you at on this, right? Are you praying for the mission of God, right? Are you preparing for the mission of God wherever God has you? Right? Are you giving to the mission of God? Listen, guys, Boston ain't cheap. It is not cheap, right? You get, you get about half the amount of space or about four times the rent up there. Right? It's going to cost something. But Boston, like so many other fields, deserves our investment. So last thing here in Ezra chapter 1, I want you to notice God's provision for the mission. We see that in verses 6 through 11. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, right? But when you do, what you see here is that God is moving through his people. He's moving through a pagan king to provide for the needs of his mission. Right? You see the same thing when you go to Ezra chapter 6, verse 8 through 12. This time it's a different king. And then you see it again in Ezra chapter 7, another king. Right? Whether it was gold or silver, animals, food, wine, spices for the sacrifices. 
right? Ministers for the house of the Lord, right? Laborers for the temple. God provided. Why? Because God is faithful. And so get this, God faithfully provides for the needs of the mission. God faithfully provides for the needs of the mission, right? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul says this, but my God shall supply, not some, but all of your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So that takes us to Ezra chapter 2. Ezra chapter 2 gives us the names and the families that returned with Zerubbabel. And we see here the total number that returned was, was almost 50,000, which, again, it was a, a small remnant of those that were taken into captivity. We fast forward into chapter 3, and we see the beginnings of the restoration of the temple Again, being led by Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest. Now, understanding the magnitude of the work and the opposition that faced them, these men, what we see here in verses 1 through 7, is that these men wisely lead the people to first build an altar. And they do that because they're going to keep God first, right? They're going to keep God the priority, even priority above the work itself, right? God has to be first. And this points to our need to yield ourselves completely to God and to keep worship as our first priority. In Ezra chapter 3, verse 8, right, we see the work of the temple begins. It's starting with the foundation. And then something very interesting happens. You get down to verse 10. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple, they set the priest in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with the cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, the king of Israel, And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good. Amen. For his mercy endureth forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had not seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, they wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout for joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. And so what we get here, right, for those that were, those that were too young to remember, are those that were born in captivity. When they go back, right, they see the work that God has done in laying this new foundation, and man, they rejoice in the work of the Lord. Right, But for those who were old enough to remember the former temple in all of its glory, in looking at this new temple, right, a shell of its former glory, man, it says that they wept. And God addresses this weeping for us both in the book of Zechariah and in the book of Haggai. Let's, let's look at it first in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. He says this, for who hath despised the day of small things? He says, for they shall rejoice. You know, um, the Boston trip, you know, when you're advertising it, it sounds a lot cooler when you're like, we're going with 16 people than we're going with four. Right? I mean, we can accomplish a whole lot more with 16 people, right? That's something big that God's doing. But four people? Like, isn't that kind of more just a vacation? You and your buddies? You know, we can very easily find ourselves despising small things. You know, as I mentioned, um, again, we just got back from Boston. Um, 
we got to witness their, their first ever Sunday worship service. And it was incredible. It was incredible just to see it, to be part of it. Maria sitting right here, man, she led worship for us. Um, it was awesome. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, but while we're there, you know, I found myself thinking, you know what? At some point, this, this church plant here in Boston, they're going to be tempted to despise small things. Right, at some point, maybe it's this weekend, right, when, they, when they, they gather for their Sunday service, and it's not hundreds of people, but it's 10, 15, maybe 20 people in the crowd, right? They're going to be tempted to despise small things, right? When they put up their discipleship numbers on the screen, and it's not, man, we're, we're discipling 100 plus people. We had 30 plus people in COD, and we've got this many people in LFBI, it's Man, we won one person to Christ in the last six months, and we baptized them, and man, they're, they're faithfully following, right? They're going to be tempted to despise small things. But understand this, right? God is not pleased with the magnitude of what we build, but with our obedience. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 8, God said, go up into the mountain. He said, bring the wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You see, God is pleased. God is glorified, not with what we've built, not with what we can build with our hands, but in our obedience to His commands. Go up, build the house. I will take pleasure in it. I will be glorified in your obedience to small things. Again, we're not going to despise small things. We're going to be obedient to the Lord, and we're going to know that that pleases the Lord, right? In Ezra chapter 4, what we find is that soon after completing the foundation of the temple, that the opposition to the work starts, right? We see Satan seeking to hinder the work in a couple of different ways. Be turning there, Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, they heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel. Then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers, and they said unto them, Let us build with you, right? For we seek your God as you do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assur, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief and the fathers of Israel, they said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us, to build a house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. And so we see here, right, that first their adversaries, they offer to join the Jews in the building of the temple. But when that offer is ultimately refused, right, we find out their true motives, right? The temptation here is to become unequally yoked, Get down to verse 4, it says, Then the people of the land, they weaken the hands of the people of Judah, and they trouble them in building. It says that they hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so you continue reading, what you see is that the adversaries, they appeal unto the new king to make the people stop the work. Right? They accuse him of being a rebellious people, guilty of insurrection, and ultimately, that's what happens, right? The work stops. But let me get us to our next key point, and that's this. Key point number three, expect opposition in ministry. 
expect opposition in ministry. Peter addresses this for us in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter 4.12, he says this, Beloved, think it not a strange thing concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. He said, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the spirit of the glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. You guys know, make no mistake about it, right? We have an enemy out there that is seeking to hinder and oppose the work of God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, now the context here is the tribulation, but it gives us an insight to Satan. It says this, it tells us that Satan seeks to oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God. Satan seeks to oppose it and exalt it himself above all that is called God. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we are told that we have an adversary, the devil, right, who walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, God calls him the accuser of the brethren. And so expect opposition and ministry. You know, the, the church plant that went out to Boston, they've certainly faced some, some opposition thus far. You know, Mike and Meredith, right, God put it on their heart, we're going to go to Boston, we're going to invest in this field, and they get out there, and COVID happens, right? And so they, they got out there, and for months and months and months, they've been in total lockdown. Now, I mentioned this in the first service, lockdown in Boston is not lockdown in Kansas City. Um, COVID is treated with uh, much more seriousness in Boston, um, to, pr- to prove that point. So they, um, the Boston Marathon was supposed to be, I think, in the spring, but what they decided to do, because they couldn't do it due to COVID, right? They said, you know what, we're going to have us make up, and, and all the people in the city, they decided, we're just going to run the normal Boston Marathon route, and their family and friends, they, they spread out along different places in the city to encourage them to hold up signs. It was a really neat thing to see. And so while we were up there, these people are running this marathon, and guess what? They were all wearing masks. They were wearing a mask while running a marathon, right? You don't go anywhere in Boston, inside or outside, where you're not wearing a mask. And if you do, you are ostracized. Meredith said that she, when she first got up there, she took off her mask one time just to take a, a, a drink, and she was immediately ostracized by several people around her, right? It's treated very seriously. And so they were in lockdown. They get up there, man, they're excited about what God's doing and they're trusting the Lord. And they get up there, man, they're just in complete lockdown. Them and their kids, right? They, they don't get to go out and meet new people. They don't get to do what God's called them to do, right? It's very discouraging for them. Take the toadies. You know, Ron, he got this job offer to go up into Boston and uh, he, he gets up there and the guy that offered him the job has now left the company. And so they're like, man, we don't have any record of this. But hey, if you're showing up to work, we'll give you some contractor work. And so they do. He takes what God gives him. Um, he does such a good job that when the full-time employee behind, uh, you know, that he works with quits, they're like, hey, man, you can have all his work too. And so then the last few weeks, Ron's been working 60, 70 hours just to try to stay up on things. 
And they come back to him and they're like, man, you've done such a good job that we want to give you that full-time position that you originally came up here for. But we still need you to work the same amount of hours, but we're going to cut your pay in about half. And I'll tell you what, you know what, when we were up there and Ron found that out, man, he didn't show an ounce of discouragement. Man, he was just so excited what God had called him to do. He was so full of faith in what God had called him to do. He's like, man, I just know God's going to work it out. I'm just going to continue praying, and God's going to work this thing out, and I'm going to trust him for it. You know, the merits, they decided to leave, and as soon as they did, right, Adam comes down with an illness, pretty bad illness. He gets up there. Essentially, Adam was in quarantine for three quarters or more of the trip while we were up there, so we didn't get to see him until uh, the last few days of the trip. Uh, man, Brooke Trezor Sidebottom, uh, she, she's good, so don't worry about Brooke. <laughs> she, she's the glue that holds everything together. Um, you know, we as a team, right, when making the trip, right, we faced opposition, right? The, the, the plans of the trip changed several times, right? When the trip was originally envisioned back in February of this year, all of us bought the, the hook, line, and sinker that, you know what, when, when <laughs> it's going to be two or three weeks and we're going to go back to normal life. Right? And that didn't happen. And so, man, the, the original, what we envisioned about going up there and hitting the campuses and, and putting on this large back-to-school event, it just never came to fruition. Right, The, the schools went back. Um, some of them went back. A lot of them went to online only. A lot of the schools, even those that went back, they say, you know what, if you're not a student, if you're not a faculty member here, then you can't come on campus. And so the idea of putting on this big back-to-school event on engaging Right, college campuses with the gospel, right, that fell through. So plans changed. Um, travel restrictions came into play. Right, we learned that the state of Massachusetts, um, this was probably three weeks, three, four weeks out from the trip, um, they implemented a travel ban. So Missouri, Kansas, we're in the red states, literally. Chiefs red, but we, we are red states, bad for COVID. And so they said, look, if you're coming from Missouri or Kansas, um, you can come here, but you've got to quarantine for 10 days after you get here. And that's pretty hard to do when you're trusting the Lord for a five- to six-day trip, right? And so uh, they said, well, hey, you know what? There's an alternative. You can get a rapid COVID test within 72 hours of going. And if you test negative, well, then we'll let you walk around the city with your mask on, right? And so that's what we did. We, we arranged uh, to get that done. That's, that's actually more difficult than it sounds uh, to get a rapid COVID test. Normally, you have to be showing symptoms, have some kind of doctor's note, uh, there's very few facilities around here that are currently giving those. Uh, but we got that scheduled. Um, we did that, that. We went to get tested last Tuesday night. And when we did, we showed up there with our papers in hand to get tested. And they said, well, we've got you down for COVID tested, testing, but it's the five to eight day turnaround on the COVID testing. And I said, well, that, <laughs> that's not going to work, right? We can't be in lockdown in Boston five to eight days while you guys are figuring out if we have COVID or not. Like, we've got our confirmation right here that we had the rapid testing. And they said, man, I, I'm sorry, but that's an auto-generated reply. And I said, yeah, but it's an auto-generated reply from your company saying that I confirmed that, that we, we, we booked these tests. And so needless to say, we spent the next 30, 45 minutes trying to argue and, and and get the test, and, and praise the Lord, we were able to do that um, about three and a half hours later. Um, we were all intending to be here as a, Maria's laughing, right? We were all intending to be here 
two Tuesdays ago as a team to be able to pray and pray with a body before we left for the Boston trip. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to do that because um, hospitals don't know how to keep appointment times. Right? Um, sorry for those of you in the medical field, but you don't. Um, our appointment was at 5 o'clock. We got out of there about 8.30, so um, yeah. In addition, right, we, our Airbnb got canceled the uh, day before we were about to leave. Someone got COVID up in Boston. You know, they're the good state, but someone got COVID up there, and, and so the Airbnb got canceled. Um, we had some loved ones pass during the trip. Uh, there were just a number of things that happened uh, that, that sought to hinder us from going. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute, but we get to the end of Ezra chapter 4. What we see is that the new king, he intervenes, and again, he stops the work, and for the next 16 years, the work of the Lord, on the house of the Lord ceased, right? The people, they made their excuse. They became content to leave the work unfinished. And we read in the book of Haggai that while the house of the Lord, it lay desolate, the people worked diligently to advance themselves and their personal houses. So in response, God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah to arouse the people. We read in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, be turning there. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come. Right? The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O you, to dwell in sealed houses, and this house lieth in waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways, right? And that brings us to key point number four, which is this. We cannot stop the attacks of the enemy. But we can control our responses to them. Right? We cannot stop the attacks of the enemy, but we can control our response to them. Now, let me be clear here. God can stop the attacks of the enemy. Right? Satan only gets to go as far as God allows him to go. We see that very clearly when you read the book of Job. But we, you and I, we cannot stop the attacks of the enemy, but we can control our response to them. So the question here is, are we going to become, or be overcome by the opposition? Right? Are we going to make excuse why now is not the time? Right now's not the time to do what God has told us to do. Are we going to get full of faith? Are we going to go back to the altar? Are we going to get on our knees and seek the Lord for a way to move forward? You know, the biggest fault of the Jews wasn't that they stopped the work. The biggest fault was their failure to seek the Lord after the work stopped. Right, there's no record between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, right, when God sends the prophets Haggai and Zechariah of the people ever turning to God and saying, you know what, God, this is the work that you called us to. Your words were clear. This is what you called us to do. Now, Lord, you see what we're up against here. You see the opposition that's facing us. You know how weak and helpless we are, Lord. If this is what you would have us to do, then, Lord, you've got to make a way. 
We never see that from them. And as a result, God has to send Haggai and Zechariah. And he says, you know what? Consider your ways. As I mentioned again earlier, we faced opposition and go into Boston tonight. I'd be lying to you if I told you that we didn't consider canceling the trip at least a time or two. The man, uh, through what I was seeing in the book of Ezra and Haggai, what God said in his word, you know what, I, I, I told Pastor Morgan, I told Pastor Best that, man, everything in God's word says to go. And nothing says to stop. I said, you know what, we're, we're just as safe in Boston. In fact, we're probably safer. They're not a red state than we are here in Kansas City. And you know what, I'm praying and I'm asking God, Lord, if I'm being presumptuous, if we're being foolish, if we're being unwise here to stop the work, but man, until or unless he does, we're going to just move forward in faith. And that's what the team did. Right? We trusted the Lord and we moved forward in faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Right? Be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The encouragement of Haggai and Zechariah, right? Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the people, they begin the work again, even without permission. Right? When they're questioned about this, they make request of the king. To continue the work, and that request is granted. In chapter 6, we see that the temple is completed and dedicated to the Lord. So I want to, at this time, um, I'm going to invite the the worship team to go ahead and come on up here. Um, I'm going to pray for us here in just a minute, um, and then we're going to close out in an atmosphere of worship. Um, But before we do that, I, I want to to pose some questions to you guys here this morning. Right. First question is this, right? What is hindering you from what God has called you to do? Right? What is hindering you from what God has called you to do? As a believer in 2020, right, it's not hard to find an excuse as to why now is not the time to do what God has called me to do. I only need to look at the latest COVID statistics. I only need to turn on the news and see the latest social injustice issues, right? I only need to to, to turn on the news and read and, and hear everything there is about politics. I only need to turn to my personal relationships with my my husband, my wife, my my kids, my family. Right? It's it's my job, it's my school. Right? We all have a reason why now is not the time for us to do what God has called us to do. Why now is not the time that we should be making disciples. Why now is not the time that we should be winning people to Christ. Why now is not the time that we should be learning God's word for ourselves. We've all got excuses, but as God said through Haggai, right, consider your ways. Right, consider your ways. Throughout Ezra, we see the faithfulness of God. 
right? The faithfulness of God to his word, to his mission, and to his people. And so the question is, is will we be faithful back to God? Will we be faithful to the mission that God has called us to? I'm going to pray for us, but if you need help, right, if you've got questions, if you need to put down a stake today for the Lord and say, you know what, I'm done with the excuses. Make no mistake about it, right? 2020 is going to come and pass. But there will always be reasons to make excuses as to why now is not the time. But God says, now is the time. Now is the time. The time is short. We have to be about the work of the Lord, man. If you need to put down a stake today, man, I encourage you as we're praying, as we close out in worship, to come forward. There will be uh, leaders, there will be counselors here. would love to pray with you. love to answer any questions that you have that would love to just be accountable with you. Don't leave here today, man. I implore you, don't leave here today. If you are convicted from God's word about what God says, don't leave here today without putting a stake down for what God has to say. I'm going to pray and we're going to close out and worship. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for your word and the truth of it. I thank you, Lord, for the, the richness of this small book. Lord, just the lessons that you were able to take, Lord, and, and there's so much that we didn't cover. And God, I hope that, that I didn't confuse this. Um, Lord, I'm, I'm just praying and trusting and asking that, Lord, you would work through your people to make these things clear, Lord, to give them the framework, the outline to understand when they read the book of Ezra what's happening and what you're saying. God, help us not to miss the lessons that you have for us here in your word, Lord. We need you. God, we, you, you have been nothing but faithful to us. Despite everything that's going on in the world around us, God, you have been nothing but faithful to us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to stop with the excuses. Help us to be faithful to you and to your word and to the mission that you've called us to. God, I pray for those that are here that say, you know what? Lord, I've been making excuses. I've been making reasons why now is not the time, Lord. Just remove those from us. God, help us to get full of faith, to trust in you, to trust in your provision to do the work that you have called us to. Lord, we love you. We thank you again for this morning, Lord. We pray that all honor and glory would be to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.